Well, welcome to Hope Leads. I'm Wes Lane. One of the fun things on this podcast is that I get the opportunity to interview individuals who are genuine overcomers, men and women who have surmounted great obstacles because they just kept pursuing a different and better future. That is, they are hope-filled people, people who have set a future goal, identified it a pathway to get there, and then stepped out in the right direction. Well, my guest today is not only a woman with an amazing journey, she's now written a book telling the story, a book that I have read, by the way, and it is an excellent read. The book is entitled, Hope is a Verb, A Journey of Impossible Transformation, and my guest today is Amy Downs. Welcome, Amy. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Well, I am just so tickled uh, to to finally uh, uh, get the opportunity to have this conversation. I have been watching this progress from the sidelines, from the bleachers uh, of, of, uh, of this book for, for months now. And when I got the opportunity uh, to see the, like the, the, the last draft before I did, I, and, and read that, I went, dang, <laughs> dang, what a story, what a story. And so, how about we we just reel it back in and think back a little bit? So um, you you today I know are an official. I mean, you've got so much stuff you have been able to accomplish. You're a, an Arizona Ironman. Uh, you may have I don't know if you've had another one since then, but my gosh, it wore me out just to just to follow that one. So <laughs> you're the CEO of Allegiance Credit Union. You're an author, speaker, but it wasn't always like this. No, it so wasn't. How about we go back about 25 years? Um, in fact, we're, we're recording this in April, but before the 25th anniversary of the event that was the life-changing moment for you. So tell us, tell us uh, about the Amy, the pre-Amy, the pre-event Amy that we're going to talk about. Well, you know, pre-1995, uh, I, I would describe myself as just being complacent. And by that, meaning that I really didn't live my life on purpose or with any intention. I got up in the morning, um, you know, went to work, uh, came home, ate, ate stacks all night, watched TV, that was my hobby, eating and watching TV. And I had 200 extra pounds to show for it. So um, that really the only thing in my life that had any real meaning was my work. I really enjoyed working for the credit union. I liked helping other people. And that's what we did. So, but other than that, I mean, there just really wasn't anything uh, particularly remarkable or um just not really anything with purpose, I would say. What were you doing? What was your role with the credit union at that time? So at that time, I worked in the credit card department. I had started out as a teller and I worked for several years as a teller. In 95, I had been at the credit union seven years and worked in the credit card department. So then uh, something comes along on April 19, 1995. Mm-hmm. Share, share with us. In fact, In fact, the credit union was in the Murrah building. Yes. So the credit union was on the third floor of the Murrah building. Um, we're not a federal agency. Um, we are a, a, 
a cooperative that was formed to um, serve the people in the building. So our business model was to serve people in that building. And on April 19th at 9.02 a.m., of course, everybody in Oklahoma knows what happened. That's when the bomb went off that killed 168 people. Um, It impacted our credit union because we had a total of 33 employees and 18 were killed. Wow. So literally, you know, our world changed in a minute. And in particular, myself, I was sitting at my desk one minute and the next minute I am literally buried alive and I can't see and uh, I can't can barely breathe and can't move. And I don't know what has happened. And I can hear people screaming and, you know, um, loud popping like fireworks. And, you know, I screamed for help, but nobody answered. So, you know, just from the onset, I mean, it was just obviously extremely traumatic. Um, But then to make it worse, they, after rescuers um, came into the building and, I started screaming, so they located me and were trying to figure out how to get me out. They, they couldn't see me, but they knew my location. About the time they got close enough to me that I think they're getting ready to pull me out, um, everyone started screaming, there's another bomb. There's another bomb. And so my rescuers had to leave. And I knew at that point that it had been a bomb that had gone off and that now another one was getting ready to go off. Only I couldn't leave. I was trapped. So I had about 45 minutes. That had to be frightening. I mean, I mean, I mean, the tale that you, that you weave in your book, it's just unimaginable. Mm -hmm. What was going through your mind? I mean, at that, I mean, you're there, you're, you're trapped. I suspect it's dark Mm -hmm. uh, because you're buried in rubble. Yeah, whether I closed my eyes or opened my eyes, it was black. It didn't matter. I couldn't see. And, uh, you know, (laughs) when they were yelling, there's another bomb and they had to go, you know, I just, I knew that my life was over. I mean, that was my reality in that moment. This has been a bomb. Now there's another one. And it never dawned on me that there wasn't going to be another bomb. I thought this is it. And so I, in that moment, when my life was over, I suddenly had so much clarity about how I should have been living my life. Like all of a sudden it was like, I, if I could just have a do over, like I should be helping other people. I should, you know, I should be nurturing my relationship with my friends and family. And all of a sudden, you know, my spiritual relationship was really important because I'm getting ready to die. I'm getting ready to step over into eternity and, you know, answer for how I've spent my life and, You know, it just, there were a lot of things that just filled me with just deep regret. Mm. And I, I just, you know, I just kept begging God for a second chance. Wow. Wow. Well, it turned out that that was a false alarm on that second bomb scare. Mm-hmm. What, uh, so, so, how so they came back cause it was, um, it was about 45 minutes of going through what I would call that a really <laughs> massive come to Jesus meeting, you know, 45 minutes of just this intense, you know, bargaining with God and just, you know, begging God for a do over and they came back, but it wasn't as easy as pulling me out. Um, I was stuck really 
really stuck. So it took them a total that day of about six and a half hours to actually free me. My rescuers were risking their lives to get me out in one piece. And I am forever grateful to them for that. Um, how, so how was that happening that they were risking their lives? I mean, a lot of people that haven't been in the, haven't seen the picture or know what's the, the reality of how, just how dangerous that was for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you describe that? Sure. The building was unstable. The area where I was at um, was front and center of the building. Of course, we'd all fall into the bottom and there, this, there was a support beam. Um, one of the support beams had a really large crack in it. So they were having to watch that crack to make sure that it didn't get any bigger. There was a industrial size refrigerator from the snack bar that had been above us that had fallen and was hanging just by some conduit, um, kind of wrapped around some pieces of rubble that, you know, it, was, it wasn't stable. And when the wind would blow, it would blow that refrigerator back and forth right above their heads. Oh my God. And it just, the, the area later they had to implode the area to get some of the, the last remaining bodies out because it was very unstable. So about every 20 minutes, they would stop and consult with um, an emergency physician on standby about, you know, going ahead and amputating my legs so that we could get everybody out safely because to stay and remain trying to, you know, get me out without an amputation was risking their lives. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, so, uh, but they finally did manage to get you out. Yeah, they did. And, you know, I'm, I'm still so grateful to those men and I think that's one of the reasons, too, I like to do kind of the crazy things like Iron Man and ride my bike across the state of Oklahoma because, I'm, I mean, I do. I have a body that, you know, some people don't. You know, one, I've gotten to be friends with Dana Bradley, who was the last person they pulled out of the building, and she did have her leg amputated on site. And I'm just, I'm just very blessed to, you know, have all of my body intact and very thankful. Well, that, and that began a transition point. So you'd, you'd had, I mean, I think it's remarkable. You had a 45 minute bargaining session, begging God for a do-over, which he granted. Uh, and, and so what happened after that, that, that uh, there's a course change. In- mm-hmm. Well, you know, I, I would like to say, you know, I began day one changing my life. It didn't quite work that way. I, I remember when they finally got me out, you know, they said, this is going to hurt. And they pulled me out from under the rubble and every nerve in my body came alive and it did hurt. But they put me on the back of that gurney and took me out of the back of the federal building. And I'll never forget looking up at the sky and taking that first breath of fresh air and promising God, I will never live my life the same. Mm. And I, that moment is something I go back to often because, you know, I had the desire, I wanted to change, but then the next two years were filled with a lot of grief and a lot of trauma. So it was like, you know, trying to wade through quicksand, trying to, you know, get out, but I didn't forget that moment. And I didn't, that clarity that came when I was in that crisis um, is something, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once I saw what my life could be, should be, I kept holding on to that. The changes that I made immediately were spiritual. You know, those were the first changes that 
was immediately a change I made in my life. Um, the other changes took some time. There were things, um, you know, I, family, you know, family was very important to me. And, and so I began, you know, trying to improve my family, family relationships. And I wanted to have a son. I wanted, or I didn't know I was going to be a son. I wanted to have a child. <laughs> and um, so I did. I had a son. And I also wanted to go back to school. And so just things that, you know, I didn't take my life for granted. And it was like, I felt like I was living on borrowed time. So I went back to school to get my degree, which sounds like no big deal, but that was huge for me because I had flunked out of college with a 0.50 grade point average because I could not pass a remedial math class. Well, that's impressive, Amy. Yeah, and yeah, it, was, it was terrible. So, so, you know, for me to go back to school, man, I had to face that. I had to call and get my transcript. I had to face that horrible, embarrassing past. And by then I was already a vice president. So it was embarrassing, you know, to, to go back and face that failure and, you know, overcome it. So, but the confidence that came with, you know, choosing a goal, you know, having that pathway, right. And, mm-hmm. and, and the agency to, to get there and then do it, that brought so much confidence to yeah. want to then tackle the next thing. And, it, and, and the next thing. And it wasn't a series, and it wasn't like a light switch. Oh, I'm just flipping the switch, and now everything's different. I mean, I mean, you really, you you told me. In fact, it, it was really you made a fascinating comment to me that you had to move from a place of of being a, a victim to becoming a survivor to then becoming an overcomer. Mm-hmm. Describe what you mean by that. So, you know, when, when you're a victim, some, something's happened to you that you can't control. Like there's a thing that's happened to you and you didn't cause it to happen. You know, it, it's happened to you. But to really move toward not just surviving that thing, but overcoming that thing, at some point you have to take responsibility for what happened to you even if you didn't cause it, you know, you have to take responsibility for that thing that happened to you. And so instead of, you know, well, I can't do this because, you know, that bombing or, you know, instead of relying on this thing that happened to you as an excuse, you finally have to say, yeah, that, that thing happened, but I'm, you know, I am going to move forward despite that. And say, okay, what do I want my future to look like? And what is one thing I can do right now today to move toward that picture? And I just, it basically, it was one small, unamazing step over and over again over time that now when I look back, it has yielded amazing results. What was that? Literally one small step, unamazing step over time, like calling and getting my transcript finding out where an online class is, finding out how to pay for college, going to that first orientation, taking the, just those small, just constant moving forward. In the end, I look back and it's like, wow, I got my degree, you know, and then my master's and then CEO Institute. And then I'm CEO of the organization. And then, you know, just this constant moving up, constant leveling up, if you will. 
Well, and, and you've described a series of, of steps, some smaller, some bigger, but all of them uh, wisely having started out with the small victories that would encourage you along the way uh, to take the next maybe bigger step. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and that was in the that was in your career realm. But mm-hmm. but what about in other realms? You know, I, I just oh, think yeah. you're an Iron Man for crying mm-hmm. out loud. And by the way, yeah. you told me. And you said there are no iron women. It's by golly, this is not some. In fact, you 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 just, you really got kind of ooh. Watch what you're saying here. So. I am an iron man. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 iron girl. I'm iron man. Yeah, um, but you don't start out, you know, saying you know what I'm going to do an iron man. Which, by the way, I should probably explain what that is. It's yeah. a 2.4 mile swim, followed by a 112 mile bike ride followed by a 26.2 marathon. And it has to all be done in certain time cuts, all within 17 hours to be declared an official Ironman finisher. So it's a difficult thing. So you don't start out and say, I'm going to be an Ironman finisher. Just like you don't start out and say, you know what, I'm going to be CEO of this organization. You may have that dream and that may be what what you're going to do, but you first have to break that thing all the way down into very small steps that you can take to eventually get to that place. So um, the first thing was I started going to a gym. You know, that was the first step. Like I had never been to a gym before. So, you know, go to a gym, figure out what walking on a treadmill is like. And my sister rode a bicycle. And so she talked me into going on a bike ride with her. And so it was, you know, ride a little bit and then eventually ride my bicycle around Lake Hefner. And I'll never forget that moment. I rode my bicycle around like Hefner and wanted to know where my medal was. I'm like, that was 10 miles. Like I'm freaking Lance Armstrong and I need, like I should, somebody should be, the news crew should be here. Where are they? Cause I just rode my bike 10 miles. But, but I mean, you, it's, it's Amy, you, you alluded to it at the beginning, but you, you were seriously overweight. You were like, as you say, you were uh, like over 200 pounds, 355 pounds. You were 355 pounds pounds and having to dig your way out of that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, to do that, I, when I got my degree, um, one of the great things about um, going through the degree program at Southern Nazarene University is they teach you how to properly research. Mm -hmm. Um, And they've got a wonderful database of, you know, peer reviewed articles and, just, just a really great wealth of information to learn. And so I knew, you know, I had tried over and over again to lose weight. I mean, I had joined Weight Watchers so many times that, you know, I think they were going to like ban me from joining again because I wasn't getting anywhere with it. And I thought, okay, to keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, and that's insanity. I need to research everything. I need to look at everything. What have I not tried? What, what, am, what else can I do? And I came across a procedure called a gastric sleeve, which is a form of bariatric surgery. I went to my boss and I said, I've, you know, saw this surgery, but I just feel like people would will judge me and they'll say I didn't do it right. And, you know, I felt all this shame about the fact that I felt like I needed to result to surgery to be able to to get a hold of my life, you know? And I'll never forget her looking at me and saying, Amy, look, what if you have a habit that's destroying your life, 
You do whatever it takes for you to get free. You don't worry about what other people think. That's good. You do what you need to do to get free and to live your life. And when she said that, it gave me so much freedom. I just thought, you know what? You're right. I need to not care what another person thinks about me. At this point, this is like, it's life and death for me. Like, this is not healthy. I'm ha- starting to have health issues. I have to do what I have to do. And so I elected to have this surgery, this gastric sleeve surgery. And they told me, they said, this surgery is usually for what we call lightweights, which would be people around 200 something pounds, not 300 something. And they said, um, we'll do it, but you have, you know, you've got to change your lifestyle. It's not a miracle. If you don't change your lifestyle, you'll gain weight back. And I said, I'll do, you know, I was desperate. I will do it. I promised everything. I'll do all the things. And they told me, they said, you know, first you'll lose weight without even trying. Like you're going to lose the weight. So I lost about 75 pounds pretty quickly. And then it stopped. And I remember I would go in for my checkups and uh, (laughs) the doctors in Edmond, I love these guys weight wise, Dr. Broussard would say, "Um, so Amy, are you, you know, exercising like you said you were going to? And I would look straight at him and I would say, yes, I am. And I would just lie. I would say, yes, I'm walking. But I rationalized that I wasn't lying because I had, they have the parking lots really big and I had to park and I had to walk, you know, into the park. Maybe. Yeah. So I kind of, yeah. So, but the scale quit moving and then it actually edged up a little bit and I thought, oh my gosh, he's right. Like I have to change my life or I'm going back. And so that's about the time I, you know, visited a gym and went on a bike ride with my sister and said, okay, if I'm doing this thing, I got to really do this thing. And so then it was learn how to get that activity and change my life, becoming physically fit. Well, mm -hmm. in a big way. Yeah. In a big way. And it kept leveling up with that too. So that's where riding my bike around Lake Hefner eventually turned into riding my bike across the state of Oklahoma every single summer. Well, so, but this was a, uh, I mean, uh, you know, so, so in 2017, it culminates, of course, in this remarkable mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ironman victory mm-hmm. uh, on your part. But, so, but there's a long time between uh, 2017 and 1995. And so yes. how long? I mean, I mean, in fact, you mentioned, again, uh, so, so you're going from victim mm-hmm. to becoming an overcomer. When did you think that you'd become an overcomer? I'm, I'm sorry, not an overcomer, victim to survivor. So describe when you talk that 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 person that was once a victim and now is a survivor mm-hmm. and then shifts into overcomer. What is that what does that look like as far as steps for the listener? I mean, we got people listening right now, I guarantee you, that they, they haven't had anything quite as traumatic as you have happened. I maybe, uh, but at the same time, it's still the same. Right. Well, for me, the, the, the first shift from victim to survivor, um, you know, I, I started making that shift probably fairly early because what that looked like for me was, um, you know, realizing that I am going to have to force myself to walk outside my house. Like I'm going to have to force myself to engage in hobbies I used to enjoy because I was so traumatized. It was like, it was awful. Mm. And I just wanted to draw the shades and like never leave again, never go back to work, never like just withdraw. And it was 
it was very difficult. And I remember having to literally force myself to go to a therapy session, force myself to go do something that used to be enjoyable, like gardening. So at first, um, there was, a, I'm, you know, kind of the Oklahoma pull yourself up by your bootstrap thing has to kick in. And, and a lot of it isn't, um, you know, I'd like to say it was just this spirit moved and everything was great, but it, it, a lot of it honestly was action. That's why I say, you know, hope is a verb. It, it was action on my part that I had to say, okay, like I've got to start doing something. And so that moved into, I would say, survivor mode because it was like, I've got to do these things to just survive, to just get on and to help rebuild the credit union. And we've got to move and we've got to do all these things and you do what you have to do. But somewhere along the way, um, something happened. And I think it was where, you know, when I got my degree and it was like, I felt this hope ignite in me that, you know, like I can do if it's on me. And, it, and that means that I can actually do something that I set my mind to. If I set myself up right for success, I plan it out. I have, a, you know, some accountability, some community around me. I've got a chance of doing some of these things. And the more that I would do that and the more I succeeded, the more it started shifting to um, something where it was like, how can I help other people do this too? You know, how can I use what I've been through to maybe help somebody else along the way? And I think when you reach a point where you take that thing that was meant to destroy you, you know, that, that thing in your life, that, you know, evil, horrible situation, and you're able to work yourself through that and come out on the other side in a way where you now want to help other people get through their thing. I think that's really overcoming is when you're, when that's real healing to me is when you can turn and take that thing and use it for good. How can I help someone else? I love that, Amy. And that, that makes so much sense. I've, I've just not heard it as articulated so well as, as you just stated that. I mean, the, the, the power of moving from a place where it's just not me focused, me focused, but rather it's how do I help someone else here? And, and that, it sounds like a transcendent moment. Mm-hmm. Well, so... Uh, uh, the, the getting your degree. I mean, so we got, I mean, of course, ultimately losing the weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a, how long did it take uh, to take 200 pounds? Away? 2008 um, is January 2008 was when I began. That's when mayor, then mayor Mick Cornette oh, yeah, uh, threw right. down our million pound challenge. And I was on board with that. And, yeah. uh, so that started in January of 2008 and um, I forget when the final pound was dropped, but somewhere in 2009, it was fairly quick because of having, you know, having medical help, you know, it was the first part of that was very, very fast. Yeah. Um, and then the fitness journey has evolved since then. So, you know, then it was, you know, riding my bike and then becoming a runner and then learning to swim and then putting all three of those together, completing small triathlons, then finally Redman, Oklahoma's triathlon event, and then Ironman Arizona. So um, that has definitely been um, an interesting journey. And I have, you know, that's been a wonderful community for me of 
friends and, and uh, people in my life that have, it's really blessed me. You know, that's one thing that really comes across strongly in your book and just what a <clears throat> tremendous, encouraging mm-hmm. community uh, that that uh, uh, that you have enjoyed. I know. I know. My wife has been on uh, those uh, one of those at least a couple. Of uh-huh. those she has. Yeah. Uh, journeys, which is too tough for me. I mean, I mean, just so folks know, Free Wheel is where they start on the southern border of Oklahoma, and they go north until in they June. in June heat in ju- <laughs> yes, June yes in June heat. And they until they until they cross the Kansas border uh, on a bicycle on a bicycle camping out often to order in places. No, it's no, just, no, no, no. I don't do the camping out part. You know, well, neither did my wife. Neither did Lori. That's right. That's right. But I'm I'm telling you, it, uh, it, that's 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 tough. Although I would argue that those of us that don't camp out are actually more hardcore because we have to ride our bikes an additional 10, 15 miles to go find a hotel in town. So technically we're riding our bikes further, even though we're still not at a hotel. Way to, way to schmooze that uh, into yeah. another victory <laughs> of its own. <laughs> another, another goal, you know, check the box. Way to go. Yeah. Way to go. Small victory. Uh, but so all of this to say, you know, we've got, um, as you know, you, you, we have listeners who have uh, who struggle. Hey, we all struggle. We every- and right now, a lot of people are struggling with job loss right now. Oh, that's exactly right. Because as we're recording this, we're recording this in a moment in which the COVID nineteen pandemic is is taking place. Uh, we're we're on, uh, you know, uh, kind of. Uh, Hanging out at home or or in a in, a, in an empty office or something, and so what, to, what do you share with with folks who are trying to uh, find a hopeful moment? Um, where's what do you share with them from your experience? I think crisis um, brings an opportunity for clarity. So, um, you know, if you've lost your job, you know, maybe there's some opportunity to think about what do you want to do? You know, when, when, when we're coming out on the other side of this and there's jobs open again and there will be that day again, well, what, what is it you really want to do? You know, I mean, maybe you can spend some time really thinking about your life and getting clear on really what it is how you really want to serve, you know, what is it that you really want to do? I think that's one thing is to try to look for that opportunity right now of what does that mean for you and how can you get clear about what it is you really want in life and start making a path to get there. You know, what does that look like for you? And what's one small thing you can do right now today to move toward that. Do you need to go back to school? It, are there online courses available right now that you can take advantage of? Do you have connections in the industry that you want to be in that you could reach out to right now? Do you need to be spending this time, you know, making your resume look amazing? Do you need to get on LinkedIn? Do you need to, you know, start making a path that puts you in a, takes you out of that victim mode 
you know, the victim mode of I just lost my job and I have no control. And it starts putting you in survivor mode because now you're starting to do things to move past that thing. Even though you had no control over it and you couldn't help this thing that happened to you, you have every bit of control over how you choose to respond. So respond with action, take action and start moving yourself toward the path to where you want to go. Well, that's great. And that, and that is so clarifying. We say hope is a verb. It requires action. And, it, and, it, and, it, and here's the beautiful thing. To generate hope, it doesn't require some ginormous step. It's just the small victory, just the little, it's the, it's the next right step. That's, that's just it. Uh, you know, so when, uh, uh, and I, I know just, I, I just would so encourage you, uh, you as listeners, if you'd like a boost, um, you need to pick up a copy of, of Amy's book, Hope is a Verb, uh, and, and, uh, and learn from it. Use it as a textbook. I mean, it is, it is the textbook case probably uh, uh, most people have not been buried alive, uh, you, you know, in a, in, a, in a bombing situation and, and, and everything else. And so uh, it helps also bring a little bit of perspective. How, how do, Amy, how do we get a hold of your book in, this, in the midst of, I know this, this, for example, talk about having to overcome a little bit. Uh, you were getting, you were going to do a, a, a launch and all of these things were planned. I mean, in, 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 in fact, at the end of March, it was kaboom. And, and then suddenly the COVID-19 thing pops and, and yeah. so all bets are off. What, what do you, what do you do now? So the book is available. It's on Amazon, of course, and we all know Amazon's running a little behind right now. So if you're a Kindle reader, um, the Kindle version, you can get it right away. So the Kindle version and also the Audible version, um, the Audible version should be available possibly as early as this weekend. I believe we've uploaded all of the Audible files. So we're just waiting for that to go live and, and it's all available on Amazon. Did you, uh, uh, did you do the audio work? I did the audible recording myself. So my nephew, my nephew is my collaborator and my ghost writer on this. And he did an amazing job of taking my story and helping format the timeline and putting it together in a way that's interesting to read. Um, he met with me every Saturday for a year for two or three hours. Sometimes he'd have to ride his bike with me. Um, so I made him ride. <laughs> How did he take notes? Uh, well, so we, had a little, we had a little setup. We had a little stand that, that um, I think praise and worship leaders use like a stand to put their iPad in on stage. And we had one of those and he set his laptop on it and would take notes while we wrote. And he would record all of our sessions. So later during the week when he would write, he would just basically listen to our interviews again and again while he wrote. Well, and of course, let's give a shout out to Caleb McCoy who yes. is a remarkable young man. And, and I'm telling you, Amy, I, I got to confess when, when I, when I read the book and I, and, and the collaboration you two did was immense. It was, it was, it was a beautiful thing. I'm, I'm, I, I was so proud of mm -hmm. both of you uh, to, to, uh, to pull that off. And so, so folks, uh, there you have it. Uh, you can go on Amazon and get hope is a verb. Uh, and uh, in fact, a journey of impossible transformation, and and you are proof in the pudding on that. And so, Amy Downs, thank you, thank, thank you so very much. Thank you for 
for teaching us today, what does it look like to go from victim to survivor to overcomer? And here's the beautiful thing. You didn't get a special deal on that. It's what, what, what you were able to accomplish, so can the person listening right now. Just set, a, set goals and then take the next right step in that right. direction. So, well, CEO, uh, uh, Madam CEO. Uh, we get Iron Man. Which is another, and an Iron Man. I mean, oh my gosh, you're just, oh, you know, I, I just, I just, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations, Amy. Uh, it's just great, great to have you here today. Thank you for joining us uh, on Hope Leads because you are a hope leader for sure. You take care. Thank you. So let me give you some concluding thoughts. If hope were a person in the room, what would she say to us? Well, I think, first of all, she'd say that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that an unchanging God designed, built you, and sent you into a moment of history as part of his loving strategy to transform a chaotic world and, and make it good again. You are called as change agents. Hope would tell you that she flourishes when we listen to God and set goals for our lives that press us further toward becoming that person God has always been willing for us to become. Hope would tell you to set action steps towards achieving those goals. They don't have to be giant steps. Start with baby steps so you can be encouraged along the way. But hope would also tell you that you've got to not just make plans to step, but you must exercise the willpower to just take that next right step. Step by step by step gets you to the destination God has for your life. It's the long obedience in the same direction. And finally, Hope would tell you that God sees us not as we are, but as we could become if we will dare. It's the same for our communities. As followers of Jesus, you are a sent people, and all humans should flourish because God's kids are in town. What evil thing dies because you exist? No one else is coming. You're the generation sent to your community in this moment. You're it. Press into God's purposes for your lives, and you will discover that hope abounds and that Jesus is still the God of the impossible. Thank you for joining us today on Hope Leads. I'm Wes Lane. Once again, I'd be honored if you would take a moment to rate this podcast, review it, subscribe, and share it with someone who needs hope. We want to thank Brianna Gaither for the song, I Won't Rest Until, from her album, Vanity. Remember, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a God who is willing for us to live meaningful lives of profound impact. I invite you to just show up and watch God show off. Mm-hmm.